WCNC Charlotte. This is Flashpoint, where power and politics collide and the tough questions get asked and answered. Thanks for joining us here on Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson. Today, an exclusive one-on-one -on -one interview with the Vice President of the United States. This week, Kamala Harris making a visit to Charlotte. The VP announcing new funding as part of the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act. It's all to help cut down on gun violence and provide more mental health resources. I spoke to her about that and the big year ahead in politics following her event at Eastway Middle School. Thanks for coming. Thanks for talking to us. We appreciate it. It's good to be back. Big news today. You announced $285 million yeah. um, that will uh, hire 14,000 mental health resources yeah. uh, across the country. Um, impressive numbers here in North Carolina that come along with that. Yeah. But what will that look like in a classroom like this? So, first of all, it's great to be back in Charlotte, but I'll tell you, I believe that our teachers, our educators, social workers who, who pay attention to the needs of our children are the angels walking among us. They literally have answered a calling to care about other people's children. And they just don't have the resources they need. And in particular, when you look at children like the children, some children in this school, but all across our country, who are experiencing extraordinary trauma because they have either personally witnessed or in some way have experienced loss because of gun violence. And you know, when we talk about trauma, it's real, right? And it is about the social, the emotional well-being and health of each one of us, but in particular when it impacts our children. Devastating consequences in addition to their ability to learn what it means in terms of how they'll act out, and if it's not being diagnosed, how they'll be treated when they simply just need help. So the money that we are putting, and President Biden and I feel very strongly about this, let's put the resources into local school districts to give them what they need to have mental health counselors, to have professionals who can check in with the kids and literally do what they're doing at this school and ask children, on a scale of one to 10, how are you feeling today? Or they'll have them look at an emoji with different facial expressions. Which one describes how you're feeling today? Mental health professionals who can be in safe places such as schools, where kids can come in and say, I don't feel so good today, I'm sad. And they can go to the mental health counselor who can help them talk through their pain in a way that can help them heal in a healthy way. You spoke to some students here yeah. who have seen some violence firsthand themselves. Yeah. What did you learn from them? First of all, it's tragic. You know, so I met with a group of middle school students and um, they, they're so young, but they're still very mature in a way that we actually perhaps would want that our children wouldn't have to be so mature yeah. at such an early so young. age, right? But what I learned from them is they said, well, we want to know that we will actually have a safe place to be able to talk about our feelings. We want to know that there will be adults who would actually ask us about our feelings and know how to talk us through the fact that we might have nightmares at night or during the day in a classroom, we're having flashbacks and that's why we're acting out. It's not because we don't care and don't want to learn. They talked to me about well, it seems that certain people should just not be able to buy a gun. Background checks is what we call it. Yeah. 
they talked about the fact that they want to they would like that part of the curriculum in class would be to teach other students to teach students the consequences of gun violence right so where our kids may see images of violence being a, a sign of strength somebody holding a gun as being a sign of strength instead that they would be taught in the classroom that that actually can lead to horrible consequences and it's not about strength and it's not about uplifting the community but actually destroying the community. What would you tell moms and dads listening to this who just don't feel safe in Charlotte or in the U.S. at this point? I think that the best thing that we can do and certainly President Biden and I feel strongly about this is support parents in their natural desire and duty to raise their children in a, in a healthy environment where they have the support they need. You know, working parents, you know, especially if they're working two or three jobs, they can only do so much. And it is important that we make sure that when it comes to the schools, when they send their child to school each day, that the resources are in the school to support what the parent wants which is that it'll be an environment where the child can actually learn and not be distracted. Uh, a WCNC investigation earlier this week found that some of the resources from past money from this, about 40 million here in the Carolinas, hadn't made its way to the schools that, that needed it. What would you say needs to be done to make sure that this new plot of money, this 285 million, gets to where it needs to be going? Well, that's part of why I'm here, to make sure that the money gets to where it needs to be going. We created the first ever White House Office of Gun Violence Prevention to make sure that we have focus that is intentional on getting resources to school districts, to communities like Charlotte, who need the support to address the issue of gun violence, both in terms of prevention, but also helping folks heal if it happens and after it happens. Last night, Donald Trump made news um, during a debate on Fox News said that the passage of Roe v. Wade or the reversal of it what was, quote, a miracle. Uh, your response to that? What we have witnessed as a result of what he is claiming is his um, credit due, but I would say blame, is that we have seen that the women of America have been denied a right to make decisions about their own body when the Supreme Court of the United States, the highest court in our land, decided the Dobbs decision, they took a constitutional right that had been recognized from the people of America, from the women of America, to make decisions about their own body. And let's be clear on this subject. One does not have to abandon their faith or deeply held beliefs to agree the government should not be telling folks what to do with their own body. If they choose, they will speak with their priest or their pastor or their rabbi, but it should not be the government telling them what to do with their body. Here in North Carolina, we now have a 12-week ban, um, not as strict as some states, but certainly stricter than other states. Um, that said, we are now in the middle of a presidential race. Um, I covered the 2008 race when Obama took North Carolina. It was a big deal. We thought that might be the beginning of a blue wave, Democrats hoped, and that's not been the case. What do you think Democrats can do to finally seal the deal in what is, by all accounts, a, a purple state? Well, let me tell you, first of all, I love people of North Carolina and I love being here. This is my ninth time being in North Carolina as vice president. Of course, I've been here before then. 
And the reason I'm here on an issue like what we need to do to support teachers and schools and parents around giving our children what they need in the, in the schools and the classroom is because the people of North Carolina and the experience that they are having is part of the measure of how we are doing as a country. And it is important to me, it's important to the president that we focus on folks like those here in this beautiful state. And it's not about politics, it's about what's the right thing to do. When we were elected, we were elected to represent all Americans, whether they voted or not, whether they voted for us or not. And listen, as far as I'm concerned in North Carolina, there's a lot of support here and I thank people for the support, but we are here to serve all people in our country. And that includes, of course, this beautiful state. Final question, what is at stake in this election? Everything, everything. Um, fundamental freedoms are at stake. We talked about the fact that we have now witnessed the highest court in our land take a fundamental freedom, which is the right that people should have to make decisions about their own body. The freedom to have access to the ballot, where you're seeing in states across our country, laws being passed that would ban drop boxes, that would even punish people for giving food and water to folks standing in line to vote. By the way, what happened to love thy neighbor? Freedom's at stake. The, the freedom to love who you love openly and with pride right? The freedom that people should have to live free from gun violence and the fear of gun violence. Freedoms are ultimately what are at stake in this election. And I feel so strongly that our democracy is going to only be as strong as our willingness, each one of us, to stand up and fight for it. Vice President, Thank an absolute you. pleasure. Up next on Flashpoint, he's a familiar face here in Charlotte, and now a former Charlotte mayor pro tem has his sights set on higher office here in North Carolina. Welcome back to Flashpoint. A former Charlotte City Councilman looking to take his leadership ambitions to the next level. Braxton Winston most recently served as mayor pro tem. He's now looking to be the first Democrat to serve as North Carolina labor commissioner in two decades. Joining us now, the candidate himself, Braxton Winston. Welcome back. Nice to have you in studio. Been a while. It's been a long time. It's been a long time. Uh, listen, there are a lot of statewide offices out there to run for. Uh, why this one? Why labor? Well, work, it's important. It's important, the work that you do, uh, the work that I do, the work that our neighbors do. Um, it really is what makes communities go. Um, and when I think about uh, why I started in this uh, game of, of governing in, in, in the first place, um, whether it's be to solve the affordable housing crisis, why we invest in transportation and transit, why we invest in uh, good public schools as well as bridging the digital divide. It's to ensure that the workforces are able to be connected uh, to the jobs uh, of today and tomorrow and that employers are able to connect uh, to workforces wherever they may be. Um, we need, uh, a, a, it's, it's good to have a worker yeah. <laughs> that, that's thinking about that, that's thinking about In workers. fact, you say you would be the first worker to be heading up this department. Yeah, yeah. That's, I, what uh, do you mean by that? Well, so uh, according to AFL-CIO, um, I would be the, the first uh, kind of hourly wage worker you know, to ascend from that situation, which I still am, and I have yeah, been yeah. <laughs> in, in, over the past six years that I've been in, in public office to assume that position. You know, somebody that goes to goes in and clocks in and clocks out uh, day in and day out running the Department of Labor. 
Do you feel like in the past, most people have known this because of the picture in the elevator of, of the labor um, uh, secretary, but do you feel like it's a position that's not been, let's say, uh, capitalized on and maximized to its best? Yes, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, a lot of people, when they think about the executive branch of a state government, they think about the governor, and they don't always realize that there are nine other positions that run independently. Um, you know, all workers uh, should uh, be paid fairly. All workers should work in uh, safe uh, and healthy environments. And I think there's a lot more uh, that this position can do on behalf of all workers across North Carolina. Do you think that North Carolina has been found to be the best in business by CNBC, I think, the, the yes. last year or two? Um, do you think a state could be best in business and also best for workers? Yes, absolutely. This should be the number one state for business and workers. It constantly ranks near the bottom uh, when it comes to conditions and situations for workers. Um, you know, workers and employers are not mutually exclusive. There's a lot of intersection yeah. there. So uh, uh, what's good for the worker uh, is what's good uh, for business and vice versa. Um, one of the big reasons why we're number one for business is because we have one of the most diverse, one of the most uh, educated, one of the most resilient um, workforces in the nation. And that comes from decades of investment um, uh, in, in uh, uh, people wherever, uh, whether it's in rural communities or urban communities. Uh, we need to ensure that that continues in to, to uh, make sure that we have the economic trajectory uh, that we have now long into the future. Long into the future. Uh, let's go wider now, uh, outside of your race. Uh, I think you tweeted out this past week about how you felt like the, the Mech Dems were sort of asleep at the wheel for some, some portions of, of, of elections in the past and that you felt like things were getting better. Um, do you feel like 2024 is the year that statewide uh, Democrats have, have a blue wave? And if so, why haven't you done it before? Well, a big reason is because of the Mecklenburg County Democratic vote um, uh, has not turned out. They've underperformed. We have underperformed uh, when it comes uh, down to uh, the even-year races, the statewide races. Uh, we, we have severely, severely underperformed when it comes to our, our other urban areas, but we even underperform when it comes to uh, the rural turnout. So that's one of the reasons why I entered the race. Uh, look, if, if tw the, this, these 2024 races don't go right, um, then uh, I, I think we're going to be in a lot of trouble uh, for a long time. A lot of the things that we've been trying to do here in Charlotte uh, will not be possible. So um, I feel like I have uh, built up some political capital, some social capital yeah. in, in this community. Um, and uh, it, it, it made a lot of sense to invest that to ensure that these races do um, uh, uh, go the right way in 2024. Um, it was a big reason why I decided. Because uh, the state party is trying to make it a point to, to run in every race possible, in every county possible, uh, across the state and be there and be present. You feel better now about the party strategy going forward statewide? Absolutely. The, look, the, 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 the party is invigorated uh, from the, the county level all the way up to, to the state level. Um, I think a, a lot of the Democratic electorate, Democratic leadership understands that we didn't pay it, uh, enough attention uh, to our rural communities. Yeah. We haven't paid enough attention to uh, the uh, Council of State races. Um, we really have concentrated on the top of the ticket to our detriment. So I, I think we're going to have a lot of great candidates from Mecklenburg County that are going to invigorate the Mecklenburg County um, race. Um, look, 45 percent turnout of Democrats in even year elections is not going to cut it, especially when our county's Democratic Party is larger than some state's Democratic yeah. Party out there. So 
we, we can't leave votes on the table. I, I know you're going to say that, that you're in this race to win it, and this is your priority, but I always ask you every time you come on, come on because you've been a, a, an up-and-coming candidate <laughs> now, I feel like, for several years now. Now you're sort of a, a seasoned pro at this point. But, but what are your sights after this? Oh, man, I'm, I have a, a, this is a huge, a huge race, man. North Carolina has the second highest rural population of any state in the, uh, in the country, second most mileage of rural roads in any yeah. state in, in the country. I'm concentrating on, on uh, uh, traveling those and getting to know folks. Look, one in four of the safety compliance positions in the Department of Labor goes uh, unfilled. So when you look at what happened at Carowinds last yeah, summer, yeah. when you think about every elevator that needs to be inspected, every uh, uh, workplace accident or death that needs to be investigated, uh, when one in four of those positions goes unfilled, there's a lot of work that needs to get done uh, to do that job. That's what I'm concentrating on right now, Ben. You uh, miss City Council? Uh, you know, absolutely. You know, yeah. uh, serving on the local level is one of the highest privileges and one of the most uh, direct, uh, 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 you know, effects of, of democracy. Um, and uh, as I kind of looked at what was going on, how do we achieve the things that we need to yeah. do here in the city? We, we, we need more allies and, and coalitions up in Raleigh and across the state. And look, that just wasn't happening from the city council perspective. So I think I have the opportunity yep. to continue to be a friend up in Raleigh and across the state. And I'm excited about the, uh, the potential that means uh, for folks here in Charlotte. Braxton, thanks for coming on. Appreciate Thank it. Oh, Come back in studio. Been on Zoom for so long. Absolutely. All right, Absolutely. good to see you. Next on Flashpoint, Charlotte leaders looking to recriminalize some city ordinances, but not everybody's on board. Welcome back to Flashpoint. Public drinking and using the bathroom in public are now one step closer to being recriminalized here in Charlotte. Those acts are illegal right now, but since 2021, they've been punishable by civil citation only. And as Julia Kaufman reports, city leaders have mixed opinions on the matter. A city council committee has okayed recriminalizing eight city ordinances to help police enforce them after they say it's been hard to crack down on unruly behavior without the threat of arrest. The Housing Safety and Community Committee voted three to two Monday to recommend recriminalizing acts like public drinking, soliciting on a street and public urination and defecation. In 2021, a state law made all city and town ordinances non-criminal, but they could reinstate chargeable offenses if leaders voted to do so. Charlotte City Council recriminalized some things in 2022, but left out others. This is a public health issue. Councilwoman Dimple Ajmira says this has led to unsafe and unsanitary conditions, especially in Uptown. CMPD says handing out citations hasn't been effective, and to address the problem, the city is looking at more than just putting enforcement back on the table. We are also looking at mental health support, housing support, ensuring that we are able to connect people to services. It's truly comprehensive. City Councilwoman Tijuana Brown disagrees with giving CMPD the option to send people to jail for the behaviors. They're overpopulated already. They have more than enough problems down there. She'd prefer the city take a harm reduction approach instead to help people that are struggling. What I see a lot here is compliance, and we all know that when compliance doesn't go the way that it should, how fast it escalates. City staff say they're also exploring ways to add more public restrooms in Uptown. 
With the committee's recommendation, the full city council can now propose amendments to the ordinances at its next business meeting and then vote on them at another meeting after that. In Uptown, Julia Kaufman, WCNC Charlotte. More Flashpoint after this. WCNC Charlotte. Good morning, Carolina. Tune in to the team that's preparing you for your day. The one and only Larry Sprinkle. See the difference in your morning. It is bitter cold just about anywhere you look. Here's a look right here at I-77 northbound. Trying to make your dollar stretch a little bit further. Responsible reporting, community focused, unique content. It's so good to see you. Y'all uh, are having too like much this. fun. See the difference weekday mornings on WCNC Charlotte. And folks, you can come interact with us on social media, Instagram, X, or Twitter. Facebook as well. If there's something you want us to talk about here on Flashpoint, let us know. We talk about everything. And as always, remember to listen and subscribe to our podcast. You can find it wherever you get yours. And we'll see you back here next weekend.